Hello everyone, this is Saqib. Welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This week we have a, a dual conversation going on. First, we have uh, Australian podcaster Paul Dennett talking about the Ashes and uh, Australian cricket. And then we have uh, Twitter powerhouse uh, Sanket Singhbal talking about India, South Africa. Give it a listen. Thanks. Hello everyone, uh, this is Saqib here. Uh, welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. And uh, we have the honor of hosting Paul Dennett, who is uh, very well known for his cricket podcast in Australia, covering the BBL, and also does uh, commentary on Test Cricket and ODIs. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Saqib. How are you? Uh, doing well. Uh, so let's get right into the action. Uh, Ashes were won already uh, in Australia, uh, salvaged a good draw on a pitch that's getting a lot of criticism. So where do you want to start with the pitch itself or how legendary Steve Smith is becoming? This guy has just shown greatness in every shade possible in this series. Well, yeah, I mean, they're two of the big talking points, aren't they? Um, we'll start with the positives, maybe. Um, I think that Steve Smith, in scoring that century, it was a very boring century in a match that will be forgotten very quickly. But it's the kind of innings that I think often Australia wouldn't have produced. Uh, I, I actually expected England was going, were going to win this game uh, early on day four. Um, I think that Australia in the past would have played a few more shots, probably would have got a bit of a lead, and England might have had a chase of about 150 on day five. And so it would have been, would have been interesting. But Smith stood firm, and I think that um, his influence caused Warner to play more conservatively as well. The rain obviously helped. So I think it was a very different type of innings from Smith, and it just confirmed his greatness. Um, you're always reluctant to speak too highly of someone when they're still playing, I know that Ricky Ponting, after his 100th test match, had a batting average of about 60-odd and at that point was in the conversation for being, you know, the outright second-best batsman ever. It did taper off towards the end of his career. Um, and, you know, he's still regarded as one of the all-time greats, but an average of 60 dropping down into the low 50s does make a difference. So we'll have to see where Steve Smith finishes. But at the moment, you'd have to say he's got a chance of going down as the best after Bradman. Uh, very true. And uh, he's showing something that, uh, you know, most modern day batsmen refuse to do. Maybe Pujara in India and a few others can do it. He can, you know, save a session by just, you know, sheer concentration and batting it out. And in this era, which is dominated by stroke play and homogenized batting conditions, that's kind of a rare attribute. Uh, he's also a little bit old school and his stance and, you know, when he started. Uh, so why do you think he's so successful uh compared to the other members of the four-pack in Williamson, Kohli and Root? And how far behind are they in your measure? Well, it's always hard to judge why someone is so successful. I think that um, his appetite for practice is significant, that every story you hear about him, he uh, hit more balls than anybody else growing up. Bradman did the same as a kid, famously with the, uh, a stump and a golf ball against the brick face of a water tank, hitting that thousands and thousands of balls. I think Steve Smith had... Something similar, obviously, with, with different equipment. His desire not to hit the ball in the air, I think, is significant. And also, he's talked about how he's lost any sort of arrogance at the crease. If if there's a good session from a bowler, he's willing to uh, go right back into his shell. He'll do whatever's required in order to get runs, which is a very Bradman-like characteristic. Uh, Bradman was only interested in scoring runs. He didn't care how or how, I mean, what method he got them. Style meant nothing to him. It was all about the end result. And I think Smith is like that. And I think he is a long way above Coley, 
Williamson and Root as a test batsman. And that's not to disparage those three because they are going to have uh, great records and I think they're, they're wonderful players. But right at this moment, Smith is, uh, as I said, on the cusp of, of, of being at a level that uh, other than Bradman, no one has reached in history. Uh, fair enough. And let's uh, also look at this Australian batting order. Usman Khwaja's name uh, is, uh, you know, at least in the fans' world, is on the chopping block. Uh, how much life you think Australian or how much faith Cricket Australia would show in him uh, with the tour to South Africa coming up? And uh, does he play in Sydney? I think he'll play in Sydney. I think Australia are generally reluctant to change a winning side too much. They're reluctant to change sides at all. So, uh, which can sometimes be frustrating as a supporter when you you know you you think that there's someone who's banging down the door to get in the side. But I I personally I would pick Kawaja and I would pick him um, even if he failed in Sydney. I'd pick him for the tour of South Africa because I think that. Over the last three summers, not so much this one, but the, the, the two summers before that, his form in Australia has been magnificent. And I think that, you know, you, you, you've got to be quite, um, give those players that have that level of ability every opportunity. You don't want to dispense with them too early. I would like to see him play more aggressively. He did that a little bit in the second innings here, but in the first innings, I know the pitch wasn't conducive to great scoring, but he is a better batsman when he's when he plays with more freedom, and I think that he'll he'll play in Sydney, and I hope that he goes to South Africa and has some success. Uh, he does. I mean, I'm also a fan of his stroke play, but do you think he is a good number three? Because number three is someone who can also uh, have solid temperament and can leave that ball, you know, that, that those tempting balls outside the off stump. And uh, you think he's that he's, he's a player of that mold, or is there someone else in the Australian ranks that could? Give him a run for his well, money. you know, in terms of coming into the side, Glenn Maxwell is always there and thereabouts. I've always been a big fan of his. He was unlucky this summer because there was a genuine opening in the side and he didn't really score any runs. And then as soon as the, the test team was announced, he then uh, started to score a lot of runs in the Sheffield Shield. So he left his run a little bit too late. He adds, obviously, to the side with his ability to bowl a little bit and his excellent catching. Uh, but he, he's too frustrating at the moment that he's, um, even in the big bash, he's getting out in situations, even in a T20 game when it's required to get your head down and play a bit more conservatively. So, um, you know, there's Chris Lynn, who uh, no one thinks about as a test player, but he'll come rapidly into calculations if he can get a bit of time uh, injury-free because his first-class record is actually very, very good, and he's now back playing in the Big Bash. He's someone that in the in the, in the not-too-distant future might come into calculations, but I don't think really that there's anyone um, that's that's probably on the, on the cusp of knocking Kawaja out just yet. Okay, fair enough. And uh, just to pick your brains on the uh, quality of, uh, you know, how are the selections influenced? Because uh, I'm originally from India and I live in the States, but follow Test cricket a lot. And traditionally in India, you know, uh, the selectors pick the team, but we always think there's an invisible hand of whoever is captaining the side. And once the side is decided or the squad is decided, like, uh, uh, like Kohli's fascination with Rohit Sharma over Pujara in the last year or two years was like the talking point in Indian forums. Uh, are there any comparisons where you think, you know, Smith or the captain is backing uh, a horse that's sometimes not delivering, but, you know, they're going with the captain's say? Uh, those things happen in Australia? Yeah, they do. It's, it's been funny. It's changed over the years that um, famously Ricky Ponting was very keen on Andrew Simons being in the side and backed him into the 2003 World Cup team. And he rewarded the Australians with a century in the, in the first game of that tournament. There have been times when the Australian captain has been actually formally a selector. Uh, and in the 1999 tour of the West Indies, Steve Waugh made the decision to drop Shane Warne for the fourth and deciding test match. And Shane Warne has never forgiven him for it. But, you know, 
their, their friendship was immediately ruined at that point. And every opportunity Shane Warne gets to disparage Steve Waugh on television, he takes that, he takes that chance because it's something that happened uh, 18 years ago. So I think that Smith definitely has an influence and I think that Lehman would have an influence, but I don't think that they actually sit in on the final, uh, they, don't, they don't make the final decisions. It's a difficult one. But I think they've probably got it right at the moment. Traditionally, the, the captain has more of a say on tour. And at home, the selectors probably have a little bit more of a say. But at the moment, um, I, I know that one thing Steve Smith did do at the start of the summer was that he, he kind of stepped in to have Ed Cowan dropped from the first game of the New South Wales Sheffield Shield season and had Daniel Hughes put into the side, uh, which was because he was considering Daniel Hughes as a potential test player and that Cowan was you know, probably past it. And so... That was something that Steve Smith definitely had an influence in, and he told Ed Cowan that um, you know he was quite upfront about it. So he definitely has an influence, but the selectors are, at the end of the day, still make their own calls. Uh, great point you made about Shane Warne. Uh, I was I didn't have that in my agenda, but that's something that always uh, baffles me. I think he's probably, in a lot of people's opinion, the best captain Australia never had, and we'll never know now. Uh, and uh, let me ask you this: uh, the game's history, historical roots go back to England and Australia, and then you know the Ashes, and then you know, of course, uh, India and you know Pakistan and all these other countries joined the action. Uh, but compared to England and Australia, India and Pakistan seem to have uh, a more than fair share of bowlers or bowling all-rounders who have captain test sides. And in the recent memory, it hasn't been the case with Australia. Uh, why is this uh, a batsman? Uh, you know, why are batsmen? being preferred as captain? Is there something that's uh, more prominent in Sheffield Shield? Is the culture or uh, is there any answer for that? Well, it's funny. I actually heard uh, Glenn McGrath was asked by Damien Fleming this question a couple of days ago on, on coverage. And, and Glenn McGrath said he personally doesn't think fast bowlers should be captains. And that um, the, the, the viewpoint is traditionally that the, the majority of captaincy on the field is done when you're fielding. And if you're a batsman and you can stand in the slips and just focus on who should bowl next then and, and fielding positions and tactics, then that's fine. If you're a fast bowler who's steaming in, trying to get wickets and then standing at fine leg, puffed out, then you're probably not in the best position to be making uh, strategic movements. It's also true that batsmen tend to be more uh, solid in their position in the side, that bowlers get rotated out a little bit more, bowlers are more tend to be more, more likely to be injury prone, uh, whereas Batsmen traditionally they stay in the side for as long as their form their form warrants it. The humorists would say it's because fast bowlers aren't very smart. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But also, I, I suppose we have had some um, bowling captains. You've got to go back really to Richie Benno, who was a bowling all rounder. And my father would always say that, um, uh, still, still says to this day that Richie Benno is a great captain, but he bowled himself too much. And that's another criticism that can be um, heaped upon. Um, captains and in more recent times captains who have bowled a little bit like Michael Clark um, and Alan Border and Steve Smith I think they don't bowl themselves enough and I think that um, so the, you know you take all those sorts of decisions out of the out of the reckoning obviously a bowling captain could do the job but it's tended to be a batsman in Australia of late yeah that can be a very interesting chat I think uh, you know like with examples of Imran Khan and Kapil Dev and others but yeah we can save it you know when we'll invite you hopefully one more day with the you know an array of guests and then we can have a back and forth on this but yeah we can uh, we can move forward now and uh, this Australian attack which uh, you know Jared Kimber wrote an uh, exceptional piece uh, before the Ashes started the with the obsession of pace and uh, Steve Smith has 
some of the best fast bowlers at his disposal right now. When a guy like, you know, Jackson Bird or even Pattinson, I don't know what's his status right now, come in, was injured for the longest time. So how do you rank this attack, this uh, five, six guys you have in the mix compared to the years uh, past attack when there was like uh, Rackman, Reed, Alderman, and even going to the Lily Thamo era? How does this uh, attack that Steve Smith has rank up against uh, past Aussie attacks? It's a good question. A little bit hard to say just yet because this um, this series is the first time that the the three fast bowlers have, have bowled together in a test match. And even now in the fourth test, it didn't happen because Stark was injured. Their their potential is to be possibly the best Australian bowling attack of all time um, because when you look at some of the great attacks that we've had in the past, they've been, you know, wonderful bowlers but then there's been there have been some other bowlers who have been good but not quite as good so in the um, McGrath era uh, McGrath is you know arguably Australia's best fast bowler Gillespie supporting him was a very good fast bowler but not in that same echelon and then Brett Lee probably a level below that you go way back to Keith Miller and Ray Lindwell they were probably probably the best pairing that Australia's ever had as, as, as a pair of fast bowlers this current lot uh, Hazelwood is very very good and Stark if he can keep it together and um, keep on going in his current direction, then the sky's the limit. But they still haven't done it yet. They've got records that are, you know, fairly abbreviated. They've got bowling averages with the exception of um, Hazelwood that are kind of in the mid to high 20s. So they're very good. Their potential is enormous. But we need to wait a couple of more years really to probably um, class them against those of the SPU. Uh, you think the bowling averages tend to be a little high because uh, everywhere in the world it's a batsman's game. And even in Australia, you know, when we used to see uh, Indian sides visit, you know, in the 80s or even early 90s when Azruddin led his side, the wickets were very bouncy and lively. Now it's uh, kind of homogenized. You think that's also the departure of uh, bouncy wickets is also the undoing of some bowling averages or that's kind of a stretch theory? That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I haven't got the stats in front of me to check what the, the bowling average average has been um, over the years. My inclination is that it probably hasn't changed a great deal. And this MCG wicket was a disgrace and it was far too flat. And I think in general, Australian pitchers in recent summers should have been um, offering more bounce. But then you look at last summer when South Africa came out here, there was quite a lot for the fast bowlers. Uh, so... I'm not sure. It's a, it's a good question. My, my inclination is until I saw something to prove it otherwise, I would say that I'd still go on bowling average, that if, if someone has a bowling average of, um, you know, 27, 28, that they're a very good bowler. But that in order to really get into that echelon of greatness, I want to see something in the low 20s. And talk about South Africa. India is, you know, starting the tour next week and then Australia follows them there. So with Dale staying back, is, this, is, is that the, uh, the deadliest quartet around right now? And uh, you think uh, this can go down as one of the all-time attacks with Stain, Markel, Philander and uh, Rabada? It's, it's certainly one of the, uh, um, the two most exciting fast bowling attacks in, in cricket at the moment. It will be interesting to see if Stain can um, come back to his absolute best. My inclination was that in the year or so before his um, layoff, he was still very good, but maybe not quite as good. Um, Philander was excellent in England um, in, in, the, in the recent tour over there, although he was a little bit um, prone to being off the field. Rabada is the interesting one that he has, um, you know, he, you look at him and think he is going to be an absolute all-time great. And then he was a little bit disappointing in, in England. Um, and so, and Morkel seemed to have come right back to his best. So a little bit like Australia, there's uh, the, the potential is there to, for them to be absolutely fantastic. 
whether they all put it together, um, if all those things come into place, then uh, look out whichever opposition goes over there. And if that is the case, then when Australia goes there and if Australia's fast bowling lineup can be injury free, it could be a wonderful series of high class fast bowling. In all honesty, without trying to sound parochial at the moment, I think I prefer the Australian attack, but I certainly acknowledge that if the South Africans hit their traps, they could be better. Uh, let me ask you one more thing. I know you do a BBL podcast and uh, I've read your tweets and you know you form, you follow and treat all forms of cricket equally. And some of the fans like myself, uh, we are a little biased. We're, we, we call ourselves more purists and uh, we think uh, test cricket is still the standard and uh, we kind of blame T20 a little bit. How do you see the benefit of T20 for an aggressive test playing nation like Australia? you think, is that compromising the style of play or that's the future? And... Uh, you know, if you have to succeed, you have to be good in all three formats. What's the mindset you see in uh, upcoming Australian players and what's a public consensus on this? Well, I think, that firstly, in terms of cricket in, in this country as a whole and in order for it to maintain its popularity, T20 cricket has been the best thing that's happened to uh, cricket in Australia possibly ever. And I'm not sure if that's the case for test cricket in the, the rest of the world. I think somewhere in some other places, particularly India, it looks like P20 is almost um, eating up the rest of the game. I think that Cricket Australia deserve a lot of credit for the way that they have put the Big Bash together. They have intended it to be something that is an enhancement to the game and not try to uh, work to the detriment of Test cricket. You only have to go to a BBL crowd to realise that it is getting young people into the game and getting people into the game who otherwise would never have been interested in it. And I think that the, I mean, they famously did a study before the Big Bash where it had uh, boys and girls in Australia, boys rated cricket as their seventh favourite sport and girls rated cricket as their 14th favourite sport. I spoke to Anthony Everard, who was up until last year the head of the uh, Big Bash, and he said that they did that survey again just this summer gone by, last summer gone by, and that cricket was now the number one sport for, for boys in that demographic. And it certainly has raised the profile of it. Cricket is always has always been a hard sell. It's a, it's a sport that you fall in love with over a long period of time but you've got to remember how hard it is to get people who are new to the game to like it. I mean, if you look at the final day of the test match just gone, anyone watching that for the first time is not going to walk away as a fan of cricket. So the Big Bash has made it accessible. When someone like Chris Lynn hopefully does make the Australian test side, that will mean that a whole group of fans come along with him. Now, in terms of actually uh, what effect it has on the techniques of players, I'm a little bit contrarian, contrarian on this one. I think it's improved the standard of batting. And I think that someone like David Warner got into the Australian side because of his exploits in T20 cricket. He may have otherwise not been um, selected for the Australian side. And I think that, um, you know, the proof's in the pudding that he's got an average in the high 40s. I look at someone like Colin Munro in, in New Zealand. I can't believe that he's not picked in their, in their test side. I, I think that if you can smash the ball to all parts, then um, if you can do it consistently with a decent average and not just every now and again – then I think there's no reason that you can't adapt the game and play a bit more conservatively and have success at the test level. No, fair enough. Uh, again, you know, this is also a deep layered and uh, uh, you know conversation, and I, I really value your answer. But uh, I have few you know points that you know I, I go back and make, and I always wonder. Uh, and say even 15 years ago, when supposedly the bowlers had a little more leverage and the conditions were a little more conducive to bowling. So there's always a back and forth. How would this generation fare against Avasi Makrams and Curtly Ambrose and, you know, that kind of bowlers of the world? And we can, you know, we'll never know. But uh, you're right. I mean, if uh, this, uh, the short making is here to stay and, uh, you know, the Sehwag and Warner, this brand of cricket is uh, making Test cricket a little more exciting. Uh, and it's, it's an ongoing conversation. So 
uh, I value your answer. So, uh, do you think? I suppose the one thing on that, I'd just say that um, the, the the batsmen of today against Kirtley Ambrose and Akram, they they'd have very little success because the batsmen of that era had very little success against them. I mean, I think Kirtley Ambrose is possibly the best bowler I've ever seen. So. Uh, I think whatever era he played in, and the same with Akram, that um, not many people are going to have a lot of success again. True. Uh, again, uh, I know the Melbourne pitch, we started with that question, is getting a lot of criticism. And this probably was a norm back in the day when uh, out of five test series, even the dominant Australian sides would win 3-1 or 4-1, and there will always be one draw. Uh, so you think uh, it's just the pitch? or Are we not going to give Smith and Warner any credit? Because, you know, still, I think it's a losing, uh, it's a lost art that Pujara does and Callis used to do. I don't think many of these greats, current greats, can bat out a draw. And I think it's still as bad as a pitch is. Someone still had to stay there and, you know, gut it out. Absolutely. I think it's two separate um, separate points that you've got to give great credit to the way that Smith and Warner and, and Mitch Marsh batted. I think that the way that Alistair Cook batted was was magnificent. And uh, the, the players, I think, today are more entertaining than they've ever been. And uh, I don't criticise the players at all for the fact that this test match was boring. I think that the, the pitch deserves to be absolutely uh, criticised as strongly as, as it possibly can be. I think it was an utter disgrace. And I say that with great respect for the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I think it's one of the great venues of the world. They still got 262,000 people turning up for it. And I think that it wasn't for want of trying. I don't think there was anything sinister at play. I think they genuinely tried to produce a good wicket and they failed. The challenge that we have in Australia, especially in Melbourne, is that although it's called the Melbourne Cricket Ground, it's an Australian rules football ground uh, for virtually the entire year. And they play two, three, four games of Australian rules football a week there. And they made the decision a decade ago or whatever to say, we're sick of all winter having the middle of the ground for, uh, you know, totally ruined by the fact that there's a cricket pitch living there. So they've then come up with the idea of putting in drop-in wickets. And that's where the problem is lying, that they just can't seem to get these drop-in wickets to have the characteristics that make test cricket wonderful. I don't understand how, how that's not the case. I've got no knowledge whatsoever of pitch preparation. But I would say that given that they're, they're talking about a multi-million dollar industry, if not multi-billion dollar industry, industry, there should be some more science thrown at it. The Adelaide wicket was a drop-in wicket, and I know it was in a pink ball and a day-night match, but it produced a wonderful spectacle this year. Um, you know, if they can't do a better job next year, then get the Adelaide wicket on it. Um, you know, prepare two Adelaide, Adelaide pitches and put one on a track and take it to Melbourne. They have to find a way, and I think they will. I think that, as I said before, Cricket Australia, I think, are pretty astute, and I think they run the game quite well. I've often been very critical of them in the past, but I think at the moment they do a good job, and I think they will address this because they need to. It's a disgrace to have 262,000 people paying good money to turn up to, to look at a wicket that was... Uh, you know, it would be like going to the Wimbledon final and it being announced that they decided to use um, tennis balls with half the air taken out of them. Even Federer and Nadal can't make that entertaining. Okay, that's some great insight. So, all right, uh, Paul, before we wrap it up, I mean, uh, my podcast has a, you know, strong Indian audience. So just uh, as an Aussie, you know, fan you know, like yourself and, you know, you love cricket. Uh, uh, how does, uh, I know Virat Kohli, Steve Smith, this rivalry, there's no love loss. How is Kohli measured in Australia compared to the likes of when Tendulkar and Dravid used to tour? Uh, what's the fans' perception uh, we can expect for Virat Kohli when he is there playing next year's the Boxing Day Test match or, you know, the, the entire tour? Well, I think that um, every Australian cricket fan has enormous respect for Virat Kohli as a batsman and thinks that he is, um, you know, probably the number two batsman in the world at the moment. I think a lot of Indians are saying that he's the number one across all formats and Steve Smith's the number one in test cricket. 
you could know, you could debate that point at end at, at length, but we would all love to have Virat Kohli as an Australian. Um, he's a magnificent player. Um, he's one of the best batsmen that I've ever seen, and I, I think that he will get booed when he comes out here, and probably quite vociferously booed. Although there will be lots of Indians in the in the crowd cheering him, and you know that hopefully will be seen in India as a mark of the respect in which he's held. I think that the the Steve Smith brain fade incident in India got a very different um, coverage in Australia. And I think, I think that uh, I'm the first to criticise the Australian players if they behave poorly. I don't think Smith did all that much wrong. He, he obviously did something wrong. But I think that the way that it, that it all went down and that Coley's sort of involvement in that um, and the way that he talked about that, that after the game lost him a few friends here in terms of um, the, the reception that he's going to get. But there's no question that he's regarded as, in terms of a batsman, um, potentially the best Indian batsman of all time. Really? Even uh, you know, the less touring parties have had names like Sachin Tendulkar and Sunil Gavaskar and Rahul Dravid. That's quite a compliment. <laughs> I said, yeah, potentially, I said. Um, you know, I think he's... Um, th- there's no way that he's held in the same... I mean, Tendulkar has a reverence in Australia like he does everywhere. That I was at the World Cup final in 2015 and the biggest roar in the entire 100 overs, even... Australia winning the World Cup was eclipsed by when Tendulkar walked out there to be part of the official presentation party. Um, so, you know, there's a massive reverence for Sachin Tendulkar. I've been at the Sydney Cricket Ground when he's come out to bat and there's been a standing ovation, um, the likes of which you would never expect to see for a non-Australian player. The Coley is a long way short of that um, and he possibly will never get there. But if you take away the aura of Tendulkar and just look at their batting records, I do think that Coley has potential to, to eclipse Tendulkar. Whether he does or not is, you know, remains the same. Yeah, I'm from the Rahul Dravid uh, fan camp. So for, for, for us Dravid fans, the biggest moment was when he was chosen to deliver the Bradman oration. So that's something, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that Rahul Dravid did. Uh, anyway, this was a great chat, Paul. Uh, I hope we can, you know, invite you over again and with maybe an array of guest lists and then we can have uh, some back and forth discussion on we can choose some topics down the road and discuss uh, some legendary teams from the past as well. Sounds great, Sakib. Thanks for having me on. It's been, been a pleasure. Absolutely. Likewise. Hello, everyone. This is Sakib uh, welcoming you and another episode of Cricket uh, with an Accent. Uh, most cricket diehards, especially in uh, India, are really getting excited because uh, India is uh, embarking on this uh, overseas uh, trip and uh, actually overseas tours, which is going to last more than a year. And uh, no, no one better than Sanket Singhbal joining uh, from Goa. And we'll break down uh, the team selection and uh, we'll preview the first test match, at least from a fan's point of view, which starts in a week's time. Welcome. Uh, Hello, welcome, Sanket. Yeah, great to be back. Yeah, so uh, I know uh, the focus has been the Ashes, but uh, the, the next big series, since Ashes has already been decided, is India-South Africa. And let's start with, uh, I'm sure, uh, this is like old news, but no love is lost between the two sides and the boards because, you know, last time India was supposed to go there... Uh, Four years ago, the Tendulkar retirement, you know, uh, they came came in and they lost a test match uh, on the schedule. The South African board wasn't pleased. This time also India was supposed to play the New Year's test, but then Indian one days uh, creeped until, you know, late December, including the T20s against Sri Lanka. 
So you think there's any animosity or that's that's kind of the sideshow? You think... Uh, uh, the fans, the how fans, will the fans welcome India there? They should be fairly alright, I think. I mean, Indian and South African fans have generally shared a pretty good relationship with each other. I think likely due to the uh, vast uh, participation of South African players in the IPL. I mean, A.B. de Villiers is probably as revered as uh, some of the Indian stars in the IPL. I think his fan base is probably just as high as Virat Kohli, if not more. And Dale Steyn also, uh, Hashim Amla, these guys are adored and respected in, in India. And I believe the same is the true for the likes of maybe Virat Kohli. Maybe not so much the others, but I think Virat Kohli is generally quite popular over there as well. So, I mean, I don't think there will be any, any animosity as such due to the due to these reasons but obviously the uh, i mean if at all uh, we have to talk about any sort of animosity between the teams then uh, there has been talk that south africa might just produce green f- fast and bouncy seamers uh, to avenge the r- rank turners that were dished out to them in 2015 in india where the matches ended in uh, under two and a half days at mohali and nagpur in particular so uh, i guess that will be interesting to see uh, talking about yeah rank turners it's funny i mean uh... I mean, we've talked more on Twitter and we both are not big fans of Ravi Shastri and, uh, you know, this is not a bashing session of him. But I clearly remember when Shastri was coach and uh, South Africa toured India last and there was like a rank turner, if not two. And Shastri, you know, there was a situation where he, uh, there was a some sort of exchange with the groundsmen and remarks went public. And it's funny, like when Kumble was in charge, Shastri was in the commentary box and he said, you know, this is norm when teams come, we ask for rank turners. So that's something, you know, I just wanted to bring up. But then Ravi Shastri made, you know, some speculation uh, before leaving that this is the time, the touring time to South Africa, then followed by England and then to end the year in Australia, which is going to define this Indian team. And this Indian team uh, is kind of on a run and there is no substitute for confidence if you're winning or losing. So even though Sri Lanka is not uh, the best best preparation, but you can't take away anything uh, as far as confidence goes. I know the wickets are going to be different. So how do you see... With no practice game, India goes and opens uh, against a three-man pace attack uh, in the first test. Uh, it's a little bit of a tough one because uh, the last time India uh, toured there without any preparation, I think in 2010-11, they were blown away on the first test at, Su- at Super Sport Park in Centurion. They were, the pitch was on the greener side because uh, I think it had rained overnight and there was some early morning moisture and Dale Steyn ran through the Indian batting lineup and I think they were bowled out for 136. But the pitch flattened out and they it well. They showed some resistance in the second innings and I believe Tindulka got his 50th Test 100 in that match and from there on I think that just enabled them to get into the series and then they won the next Test Durban and so, and obviously that the Test at Cape Town was, was, was an absolute thriller I think. So I mean it depends on how they ad- adapt to the conditions, how the pitch is obviously. If they, if they are welcome with a green seamer straight away then obviously it's going to be a little bit difficult because this team is perhaps not quite as experienced in these conditions as the one that involve the likes of Tendulkar and uh, Dravid and Lakshman and all those guys. So, uh, obviously, the pitches are going to have a big say. And obviously, uh, if the pitches are on the greener side, then toss could also play a critical factor because you probably don't want to bat first um, on a green top. Uh, if, you have, if you're going in without any kind of preparation if, and if you don't have any kind of idea of how the pitch is going to behave. So, a lot of factors go in, but the start is going to be crucial. Uh, but uh, Stain is coming back after almost a year of injury, and uh, he is likely to assume his you know role as a stock bowler. Uh, last time India toured uh, South Africa three or four years ago, AB de Villiers and Dale Stain were easily the best in their disciplines, and now a lot has changed. It's not like they have forgotten to play cricket, but injuries creeped in, and uh, their greatness is kind of on hold. 
we know how good they were, but now, you know, everybody will be anticipating their comebacks. On the other hand, uh, Indian batting order, I mean, I think most of the top order, this is their second trip, and they all had a decent outing in South Africa. So all this notion of advantage India, or this is their best chance, are you buying into this hype? Uh, to a certain extent, yes, because I think the South African side is in a bit of an upheaval uh, following the tour of England where they lost quite badly to what I think is still a, an emerging but not not quite great uh, English side. So, and obviously with E.B. de Villiers coming back uh, and also, I mean, I don't want to touch too much on this topic, but there is that... Uh, that transformation requirements uh, they have, and they need to have six uh, players of color color in the side, and uh, which inc- which must include at least two black Africans. So that that might also play a little bit with their team balance and all, especially with Ebi Devilliers returning. Um, uh, who's who is going to be replacing? Maybe it, it could be Temba Bavuma, who is one of their uh, who is one of the black Africans. So maybe they could have some problems there. So it's 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 a challenge for them to balance their side and. Uh, it, I mean, it's not a settled side. They've got good players individually, but as a unit, I don't think they're quite as settled yet. They're also under a new coach. So, yes, I mean, India definitely have their chances, but obviously South Africa still going as slight favourites, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, obviously the lack of preparation is, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, that could be a little bit of a hindrance uh, at the start of the series uh, if the pitches are seem friendly. So, I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, in- India have had a... As you said, I think four of their top six batted pretty well in South Africa last time around. The only guys who struggled were Shikhar Dhawan and Rohit Sharma. So these guys are definitely no strangers to South African conditions. But uh, again, it depends on how extreme the conditions are. If if the pitch is a green top, then even the most even even a guy with 150 tests under his belt could probably struggle. So uh, I think the series will be decided probably based on the conditions. But uh, India definitely have a decent chance. I mean, all things being equal, uh, they probably have their best chance to win in South Africa that they have ever had. Uh, uh, interesting you talk about green tops. I mean, cricket conditions over the world, I think even in test cricket, have been homogenized to a certain extent. Uh, Australia, you do, you get like, uh, you know, some sort of flat batting wickets in the last eight or Absolutely. 10 years. That's kind of the norm. And uh, our South Africa, are these conditions the most difficult conditions for subcontinent batsmen or you think English conditions are the most testing conditions right now for Test I mean, cricket? Even England can have some pretty flat tickets at times. I mean, uh, I remember the 2016 series summer of English summer where Pakistan toured England and they had flat batting wickets in all four tests. And the likes of Azhar Ali and Yunus Khan, Asad Shafiq, they all scored big runs. I mean, no disrespect to them, but all fine players. But those were not typical English conditions. Where Whereas this summer when South Africa toured there and you had green seamers for all the four test matches and... Um, the likes of even the someone of the quality of Hashim Amla scored big runs in England in the past, couldn't quite get going. So, uh, Quinton Decock, who had a very good series in Australia, was coming in with a rich frame of form. Even he struggled in those conditions. So, it depends on how the conditions are. I think the last couple of tours that India have had to England, they've encountered some pretty difficult conditions, especially the tests at, at Lord's, Old Trafford and the Oval last time around. Those were extremely seam-friendly wickets. But historically, if you look at it, uh, South Africa's generally been the toughest place to bat for Indian batsmen because, uh, I mean, I was just doing some stats digging and uh, I think there are there have only been 1,300s scored by Indian batsmen in South Africa uh, and five of those have come with the, uh, with the blade of one man, that is the great Sachin Ramesh Tindulkar. So apart from him, there have been eight other hundreds uh, that have been scored. So 
uh, obviously indian batsmen have had a tough time in south africa historically that has changed to a certain degree uh, over the last couple of tours but um, again this is a new batting lineup although they did play last time around but obviously each tour is a different challenge south africa probably have one of the best pace attacks uh, in the uh, not just in the world right now but if all the four quicks that is stain philander mockel and rabada if they are all fit and firing then they have the potential of being ranked amongst the possibly the greatest fast bowling quartets ever probably dating back to the 90s uh, 80s and 90s west indies so it's definitely going to be a uphill task for india with the bat but uh, let's see uh, you mentioned about shikhar dhawan and uh, you know his name keeps coming up and a lot of fans uh, especially indian fans see him some sort of an obstacle in test cricket but i think uh, he's one guy if you look at the numbers numbers sometimes do lie or they're overstated but uh he's someone who scored a lot of runs and uh, he's averaging outside of india he's averaging 44 or 45 in test cricket and some of those uh, are ugly stays that he plays a lot of hit, hit miss and sometimes he's drop but then he keeps scoring so do you see him getting the nod and if he does get the nod do you think that's the right move considering uh the pace battery south africa possesses i believe he has been ruled out of the first test so i mean kl rahul will probably get the first test and then we'll they'll see how it goes from there but talking about shikhar dhawan i mean in general i don't think his technique is suited to playing outside the uh, outside the subcontinent because i think he stays he stays towards the leg side and tries to open up the offside which works and he someone likes to hit on the rise and uh, when there whenever there is a little bit of movement and he's also not someone who plays uh, late so i mean he just likes to you know i mean throw his hands at the ball uh, is a bit of a see the ball hit the ball kind of a player so uh, whenever there is a little bit of movement or a little little bit of extra bounce then his technique i believe defensive technique can be found wanting his record away from home as you said uh, numbers the raw numbers look pretty good on the surface but i think you have to remember that uh, a lot of those runs were scored in sri lanka with uh, i mean with all due respect i mean sri lanka are not amongst the greatest sides in test cricket and uh, most more than the quality of the opposition the conditions were uh, were quite identical to what you get uh, back home in india so uh, i mean south africa and australia england those are going to be different ball games altogether uh, i think to his credit shikhar dhawan uh, what he has done i mean at times is that he has shown the patience to maybe leave balls i saw the stump and play the odd odd good innings i mean he scored a very good 100 in new zealand uh, in the fourth innings at uh, at eden park uh, in 2014 and then followed it up with a 98 uh, at at the basin reserve in wellington in next test uh, so i mean that was a good tour for shikhar dhawan but other than that uh, he's generally struggled i mean he's tried his best i don't think he's someone who doesn't work hard i think he's tried his best uh, a lot of the time but sometimes i think just the he probably gets uh, his technique gets uh, outclassed by better bowlers in tough conditions so i mean if the pitches are good then maybe he might score some runs but uh, on on typical south african wickets uh, where openers generally even the south african openers graham smith has a much better record away from home than he does at home so south africa is not an easy place to open the batting and more so if you're an unconventional opener who's got his issues against the moving ball so shikhar dhawan if he plays will definitely have his work cut out i feel yeah what do you think about their batting lineup uh, indian batting lineup i think this is uh, uh, i'm convinced uh, these guys will have a good outing because uh, I believe no matter what conditions there's no substitute for confidence and they have been piling up runs even Rohit Sharma who I've been you know quite critical of how Shastri and Kohli tried to inject him in the lineup but uh, right now with his form I think he's best suited if India will need I think uh, an extra batsman so uh, him coming at 6 really is ideal at this point and he definitely has all the talent in the world 
the question is about temperament and can he, you know, just sometime not go fishing outside the off stream, which has been his undoing or, or many batsmen in this generation. And uh, starting from the top, Murli Vijay and Rahul is the ideal combination in these conditions because uh, technically, like you said, they are better equipped to uh, play the moving ball or, you know, the quicks and they can negotiate that ball, especially Vijay, you know, who's been India's most consistent bat, uh, even more than Kohli in all conditions, uh, if you take Sri Lanka out. So, uh, yeah, big question mark would be on who's opening the bowling for South Africa because uh, Morkel has been the undoing of Vijay, I believe. Uh, he's dismissed him quite a few number of times. Uh, and then Pujara, you know, is coming off a great season at home. Uh, there are some question marks how, you know, he will perform overseas. But people sometimes forget he did have a great series in South Africa last time and Dale Stain really gave him a big compliment in that series. That some something along the lines that it's hard to get this guy out. I don't know what the exact verbiage was, but so the top three are pretty set. And then you know, obviously Virat Kohli is someone you know who likes challenges. He's just you know going to be fresh from his honeymoon. You know, focused rightly back on cricket. Uh, the only question mark right now on form is Ajinkya Rahane, but I think that's normal in cricket. He's a man kind of uh, without a home because he's trying to juggle uh, playing all three formats, which is not easy. And I think sometimes that's the undoing. Uh, and uh, but then again, you know, like in this day and age, where there's so much information, even for us fanboys, that's available. We over overanalyze. If you look at history of cricket, you know, no five batsmen are always in form together. So it's always one guy, one odd guy out. So maybe Rahane, you know, uh, you know, he, he's struggling uh, mentally right now, and uh, maybe you know, the bouncier wickets where the ball comes to the bat, he can uh, he can get going as number five. So I wouldn't tinker with him, and I hope uh, you agree with me that Rahane should yeah, be in the 11. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to come down to, I think, you know, how the starts are in Pujara. Those are three. That's why it's a top order. Because Kohli, there's no doubt, you know, uh, he can he can play in these conditions. So it will be very crucial, and I'm, I'm pretty confident as an Indian fan that uh, this is – uh, this batting lineup is is looking very settled to me. Of course, uh, things so you, can change you fast. You mentioned about Pujara, and I know you have been a big fan of Chiteshwar Pujara over the years. I mean, you've likened him to Rahul Ravid, and you liked his temperament, uh, classical Test match batsman. So, I mean, he's had mixed results overseas, as you say. He had a great tour of South Africa last time around, but uh, struggled elsewhere. Didn't quite get going in Engl- uh, in New Zealand or in Australia. Had a good start to the series in England. I thought he played a very understated innings at at Lords, uh, seeing off the new ball on that green top on day one and setting up the platform for the Indian team but again he just uh, sort of tapered away to over the course of the series so and since then he's been playing county cricket over the last three seasons in a row and he's had mixed results I mean there have been occasions where he scored some runs and uh, there have been other seasons where he's uh, gone I mean completely matches without even scoring a 50 so I think this season, I think he averaged something like 17 in the second half of the season after after the Sri Lanka tour when he visited there. So, he's had some mixed results in county cricket. So, do you think he's now well-equipped to uh, ha- handle the challenge of uh, overseas cricket? I know he did well in South Africa last time around, but if the pitches are probably a little bit more spicier than last time around, do you think he has the technique to handle that four-pronged four pace battery of Stain, Philander, Mokul and Co? Uh, definitely, I think he has a technique uh, to... To, to make a name for himself and to give India, you know, like uh, good starts if he's to if he's called in, you know, with an early wicket, which, you know, I think number three, is, I think to me, is the toughest job more than opening with openers. No, they're going to start opening. And number three is, you know, you're padded from ball one. You know, you could be introduced to the second ball. Uh, that being said, I mean, Pujara, I think the only criticism even I have is sometimes uh, he gets too defensive or 
maybe that's even a wrong thing to say to a defensive because you know that's kind of a lost art to negotiate the ball and just uh, you know outperform uh, mentally outperform uh, with the, with the doggedness uh, the bowling attack. But I think sometimes his drives, which again I'm not qualified to comment on that. I think he finds a fielder more often when he's playing well, and a lot of times that was the undoing of the great Rahul Dravid in the beginning. But I think Pujara has been around a long time now, and I think he has to work on that and. Hopefully, he can come out of that shell. I see him, you know, giving India starts or coming in and just, you know, blocking one end more often than not because, you know, the quality of bowling is going to be immense. Uh, but again, you know, I think the the big uh, challenge for Pujara and Kohli both will be England. I, I somehow think uh, this is a series where, you know, they can negate the bounce and the quickness. Uh, I think it's the swinging condition that's that's been a question mark for this Indian top order. Fair enough, fair enough. So, how do you see their counterparts? I know South Africa was the number one side a few years ago, and you know, there's you know, Quinton de Kock is going to miss the first test, and De Villiers coming back. Hashim Amla is not uh, same as he used to be. Uh, so, what do you make of their batting? I mean, is that uh, is are they the favorites starting with their batting, com- considering they're going to be playing an Indian attack, which is good, but still doesn't have the history of taking 20 wickets outside of India. Yeah, I mean, that, that batting lineup is, I think, what probably gives Indian fans a lot of hope because the batting has been uh, in a state of upheaval for quite some time now. I think it started right against the same team, India. Uh, in India, obviously, on that 2015 tour where they were, uh, you know, traumatized on rank turners. You had uh, Faf Duplessis who, was, who got dropped after that series, Hashim Amla. Um, quit captaincy against England in the following series a couple of tests later. And uh, soon soon after that, A.B. de Villiers took an indefinite break from test cricket. So, I mean, it was that India series that was, you know, the beginning of, of all the sort of all the problems that have uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, troubled South African cricket over the years. So, uh, the batting lineup ha- has performed occasionally. I mean, Quinton Decock has been uh, their mainstay, I think, uh, especially in the Test Series win in Australia, which has been their biggest highlight, I believe, since that uh, defeat in India, where they, which ended that nine-year unbeaten run overseas. Uh, so that win in Australia is obviously that's, is the high point over the last couple of years. And uh, Quinton Decock lower down the order played a crucial role. So I'm not too sure if he's ruled out yet. Uh, he's, he's supposed to be in doubt, but they are hopeful that he might well make it. So I think that, that could be a crucial uh, uh, you know crucial move for south africa because if quentin de Kock is fit then that then that allows them to play five bowlers possibly uh, going in with all the four quicks and kesha maharaj as as the spinner but if quentin de Kock is not fit and they have to blood a debutant wicketkeeper then obviously they would probably want that extra batting security so uh, hashim amla he is someone who's been struggling particularly i feel against good bowling attacks he scored runs against bangladesh in the recent series he scored some runs against sri lanka but against good bowling attacks recently he struggled in england he struggled in new zealand he struggled a lot in australia josh hazelwood i think dismissed him five times out of five so he's been struggling against good bowling attacks especially against the taller fast bowlers i believe he's been struggling particularly so Oh, that, that is going to be a challenge for Hashim Amla. Maybe someone like Ishan Sharma, if he if he hits the deck hard and if he can get that ball to seam around a little bit, he, he could co- he could cause problems for Hashim Amla. Mohammad Shami troubled him on the last tour uh, in in 2013, so he could cause some issues as well. And obviously, Bhuvneshwar Kumar is is probably in his most reliable seamer, uh, can swing the ball and. You know, uh, he can he can, all, he can also seem seem get seem movement these days. He's uh, added a little bit of extra yard of pace, and you can hold his length back a little bit and extract seam movement of the surface as well. And Omesh Yadav also had a really good home season. 
so yeah they definitely have the potential in the bowling attack to trouble the south african batting lineup but uh, again bowling in the subcontinent and Uh, sorry, you think India is going to go with a four-man pace attack? Uh, you mentioned Ishan Sharma, or you think he's going to be the odd man out with uh, Bhuvneshwar Yadav and uh, Shami getting the nod? I, I think it's probably going to be a toss-up between Ishan Sharma and Umesh Yadav, and I mean it depends on the conditions. If they feel that the pitch is going to have a little bit of extra bounce, then they might go with the extra height of Ishan Sharma. And he had a decent, uh, de- I would say, decent, not great tour of South Africa last time around. I think he bowled a pretty good spell in the first innings at Joburg and bowled all right in the second innings. Just sort of tapered off in the second test at Durban which was perhaps not quite so helpful uh, to his style of bowling so again it depends on the conditions but i think the the choice is probably between those two uh, ishan sharma and umesh yadav but uh, as i was saying i mean uh, taking wickets in the subcontinent and taking wickets in south africa uh, they're completely different ball game altogether because even though the conditions in south africa are supposed to be more seam friendly the role of the seamers is quite different from what you uh, i mean fulfill in the subcontinent in the subcontinent you're largely used in short sharp bursts to maybe just give the spinners a little bit of break and you know that even if you don't have the wickets you uh, you have the likes of ashwin and jadeja who could take wickets on the rank turners or on pitch on spin friendly pitches you also had kuldeep yadav uh, and jayant yadav chipping in from time 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 to time so the pressure on them even though the seamers did well uh, in the subcontinent uh, they didn't quite have the same pressure of delivering as they would ha- have in the in south africa and they would have to bowl longer spells they would have to bowl 20 25 overs in a day and uh, and so it's not just a question of their skill but their fitness will also be tested in these conditions where they'll have to bowl those long overs and sometimes maybe when the batsman is uh, in in form and maybe uh, someone like abd willis gets on a roll and maybe sometimes you just have to bowl a little bit defensively you just can't try and blast him out maybe so it's about adapting to those challenges uh, you're going to be facing different sorts of circumstances uh, on different types of pitches uh, across various match situations so it's it's a case of how they adapt to them so they definitely have the potential but as i say success in the subcontinent doesn't necessarily uh, guarantee success overseas you have to make those adjustments so that, that remains uh, a challenge it's a very valid point and especially great insight that uh, fast bowlers are not used to carrying that kind of workload when they are playing in the subcontinent on the other hand now ashwin and jadeja you know what's their role going to be or out of the two will both play in your 11 or only one or which one will play if it's only one that kohli decides to go with i think it's I think they'll the space for only one spinner if at all they play five bowlers then they'll probably go in with Hardik Pandya as the fifth bowler and as the fourth seaming option at the same bowling all-rounder I'm not a particularly big fan of that but we'll get to that later uh, regarding Ashwin and Jadeja I mean uh, I think Jadeja would probably be the safer option overseas because I think he's the guy who's done well in uh, at home on on flat up pitches Ashwin has obviously taken wickets on rank turners is is I think probably the best bowler one of the best bowlers uh, in in the world uh, not just in the world right now but possibly one of the best bowlers ever on pitches that assist spin he can run through sides uh, i mean he's got one of the best strike rates for a test match spinner but he has got his issues when the pitches are a little bit on the flatter side i mean even at home on, on some of the pitches that have been on the flatter side such as the test against at rajkot against england or the one at chennai Uh, or the one at Ranchi against Australia, or the more recent test uh, at Delhi against Sri Lanka. These are some of the flatter pitches which have failed to produce results. Uh, the test at Chennai did produce a result, but that was largely due to Jadeja taking wickets. So, I mean, uh, these are some of the test matches where th- there hasn't been a lot of assistance for the spinners uh, of the surface. And Ashwin has generally struggled a little bit because I think he sometimes get a li- gets a little bit too impatient. And that might also be a product of bowling so much on helpful conditions that he probably expects a wicket every other over. And, maybe 
just not willing to you know i mean apply the pressure for long periods of time and try and work a batsman out so i he has the tendency to drop drop it short every now and then gets uh, he's someone who gets cut a lo- cut a lot and he's i think he needs to probably toss the ball up a little bit more get the batsman driving because on bouncy pitches there is always that chance that if you get a batsman driving and if he, if he edges one then there's always that chance of edge edge flying through to the uh, slips or maybe in the cover region so uh, i think ashwin's consistency is is a bit of a question mark against him in unfavorable conditions so jadeja is the safer option he is 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 someone who's probably doesn't have the same variety as ashwin but he's someone you know that you, you know what you're going to get from him he's someone you can rely to bowl upon 30 overs in a day to bowl for 70 odd runs he probably won't take five wickets uh, in a day in those conditions but i think he he'll do a solid job for you so again it depends on what I agree. Jadeja could be the workhorse. I mean, even I agree that India would, you know, bank on because uh, in Test cricket, it's not all about. Of course, the idea is to take wickets, but at the same time, it's about who can bowl, you know, long spells and you know contain batsmen and just you know uh, not batsmen dictate the course of play. So let's do a quick segue. I know uh, the side has been selected, so it's like a post mortem. Is there anyone? Uh, I know there's big talk of Kuldeep Yadav. Uh, you think is there anyone else who, in your opinion, should have made this trip? Kuldeep Yadav is the one. I think he's he's the most startling omission in my opinion because I think the way he bowled at Dharamshala uh, in the deciding Test match against Australia uh, on a pitch that is probably the closest that you're going to uh, compare to what you're going to get in South Africa. That that pitch in India is probably. the most resemblant of what you're going to get in south africa so on that surface on a day one surface where smith and warner were going hammer and tongs it was it was kuldeep yadav who changed the course of the match completely took took a four wicket haul and uh, bowled australia out for 300 and from there on india took control of the match uh, so i mean it, i know it's just one test and he also played another test in sri lanka he bowled well in that as well but i think he has shown enough potential in his short career he's also played a fair amount of limited overs cricket and he's shown a good temperament i mean i think he, whenever he's been hit hit for boundaries he's generally um come back very strongly so i think that also reflects a good temperament i know limited overs cricket is obviously not the best uh, uh, parameter to judge your test credentials but i think that shows that he's got a good head on his shoulders and obviously in the two test matches that he has played i think he showed enough skills that he is someone who probably doesn't need assistance from the conditions as much as say an ashwin or jadeja in my opinion i mean i could be wrong but in my opinion i just think him being a wrist spinner and uh, with perhaps uh, having that uh, little bit of Uh, variety in his bowling uh, he, he could he could be a i think a, he could have been a good option in south africa okay i mean you make again a very valid point which i think the indian board more than any maybe i focus more on the indian board is guilty of lot of time we make uh, someone who's scoring heavily in first class cricket uh, we launch them in t20 i don't know if that's something just considered like the easiest format but uh, that could be the undoing of many players and i've been following shreyas ayer for a while i'm not sure if he's having a stellar season but i thought his inclusion in the t20 team was okay but he should have been given a nod against the touring sri lankans uh, in the test series what's your opinion on someone like him and uh, and that practice in general and and i think he should have also made this trip even if they were going to bench him this could have been a valuable exposure uh, accompanying the indian team to a tour like south africa but i think that that is that happens all over the world i mean i think most of the teams generally use the limited overs formats as a pathway to test cricket and they, a lot of the team, a lot of the time you see teams picking uh, 
test teams based on limited overs performances. So, I mean, that is there. I mean, that's not something that I agree with, but it's it's it has hap- it happens all over the world. So, I mean, you can't do much about that. Uh, regarding Shreyas Iyer, I think I'm I'm not I'm still to be convinced by him. I still think I mean, given a choice between him and Rohit Sharma, I still think Rohit Sharma is the more solid option uh, for this tour. Maybe if Shreyas Iyer can have a good a tour in tough conditions. Uh, um, or maybe something like that. Maybe he could could have been considered. I mean, I would. I, I think he would have been a decent option. But I mean, given a choice, I'd probably still uh, go in with Rohit Sharma. So I, I'm okay with his omission. I think it was a fair enough call. So just on a you know, we we covered quite a lot. Uh, let's end this on a not so funny note for Rohit Sharma and his fans. But last time there was a famous line when Dale Stain said, "I average more than you" or something. You know, like so. This is Sharma's <laughs> chance. I think that the record right. He's been. Guns blazing, and I know a lot of time there's an inflated opinion, you know, because of recency how he's tortured Sri Lanka, uh, you know, into sheer dismissal here. And now people are hoping that this is going to translate. And uh, let's see. I mean, Joy Sharma is, you know, is always like a very uh, polarizing figure in Indian cricket. Uh, and Ravi Shastri and Kohli will back him up. And this is the series where he can, you know, really, you know, uh, how do you say it? He can really, you know, Make them look good if they continue to back him. Yeah, this is a big opportunity for Rohit Sharma because, I mean, every time he scored runs at home, you see people, uh, the ex-commentators and fans on Twitter and all go gaga over him. The most talented player in the world and is comfortable against pace and bounce. But uh, I think he, he's now at the crossroads of his career. He's, he's, I think, turns 31 next year. So he's not he's not a youngster anymore. So this is his chance. I mean, if he doesn't perform in this overseas cycle, then uh, that then his then that's probably it for him as a Test cricketer. So a big tour for coming up for him for sure. So Sanket, it was a pleasure uh, chatting uh, India South Africa, and let's do this again because this series is going to spark some serious opinions if India does start winning and if it gets close. So this is going to be some good talking points in the coming weeks. Yeah, great to have a chat with you, Sanket, and hopefully we'll have a. Yeah, hopefully we'll do another episode very soon. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks for joining. Bye.